We've all got stress and we need quick, effective, and natural ways to manage it. And that's what today's episode is all about. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne, and I'm a mental health trailblazer. And join me as we have real conversations about real solutions to kids' problems. And today we're talking about stress and how magnesium helps to calm and regulate the brain. So let's dive in. Hi, everybody. This is It's Gonna Be Okay with Dr. Roseanne. And we are kicking off our physician series on the benefits of magnesium because there's so many benefits to the brain and body. We couldn't just have one physician, but we are starting with my personal friend and one of my personal health experts, Dr. Rita Marie Lascalzo. She is the founder of the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology, which is exactly what it sounds like. She uses nutrition to support the endocrine system, the brain, the body. She's pretty much a genius and she knows a lot of stuff. So (laughs) so it had to be, she had to be my first person. And actually, truthfully, Dr. Rita Marie helped me with my formulations on the neurotastic vitamins when we were, you know, sitting in the beach in Mexico. Um, And I went over some of my formulations and got her expertise in it. So welcome. And thank you for having this conversation about stress and magnesium. um, Because yeah, we're stressed out people. We're stressed out society. Yeah, we are a stressed out society. I'm going to go through a few couple little stats just that people need to know this. And then let's talk about why stress happens and what we could do about it. Because this is all about action. So nearly two out of five people, 37% of Americans rated their mental health as fair, only fair or poor in 2022. That's stress in America. 61% say their stress is an all-time high. And 59% says that the last 12 months is the most stressful time of their life. And 55% of Americans are unable to enjoy life because of stress. That's pretty sad, isn't that? It's very sad. Very yeah. sad. You know, when it comes to kids and, and college students, 80% of U.S. students report some level of stress in this school year. 34% it leads to depression. And college students, anxiety, depression, and stress, they for 54% point two percent experience it. Mental right. health, by the way, is a number one reason why college kids don't make it. And as you and I see, stress is everywhere. Why do we think it's, you know, what's going on, Dr. Rita Murray? So stress, well, stress is here, right? Media triggers stress because stress sells, right? When people are in fear, and fear is one of the biggest things that triggers stress, triggers a, a normal response in our body, right? The fight flight response. And that's part of what's called the sympathetic nervous system. So there's a, a system, a part of the nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And like it sounds automatic, it's those responses that we just do automatically. We don't like say, I'm going to move my arm. You know, I'm going to smile. I'm going to frown. It actually is automatically done. And there's two branches. One is the sympathetic and one is the parasympathetic. And the fight flight, which happens when we're stressed, is the sympathetic. And we want that response. Don't get me wrong. When a tiger is chasing you, you want the sympathetic nervous system. You want to run. run Live in Florida. Exactly. Exactly. But we are fed things news, social media, even where people are getting in an uproar about 
angry about this or upset about that or feeling helpless, which is one of the worst feelings of all. And we kick into the, the fear response, the sympathetic nervous system, adrenals kick in and produce cortisol and, you know, it dampens the activity of the vagus nerve, right? And you talk, probably talk a lot about that. And, and in order to get out of the stress mode, we have to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. We have to calm things down. We need calm neurotransmitters and we need the vagus nerve to be activated. So why are we stressed all the time? Because yeah, there's stressful events around us, but that's what is it's emphasized. If we had a news channel that emphasized all the good stuff that happens in the world as an equal proportion to how it actually happens compared to bad, the bad news would be a blip and all the good news would happen. The babies born, the weddings, the cat being saved from the tree by the friendly fireman, whatever. There are a lot, a lot of good things. But good news doesn't sell products. Good news doesn't get people to keep watching. Good news is just uh, 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 makes people feel calm. It doesn't in- ignite people into action. So we and are constantly. And there isn't a good news channel. No, really. I wish you know there I mean? was. Like, but and you know, and I think what you're you know talking about is such an important conversation because I don't think people realize how much they're being bombarded. Right? We always think of stress as an event. Something bad has right. to happen for our nervous system to get jacked up. And that just isn't the case. It's compounded stressors, things that activate us when we don't even know it often leads to this. And that's what we see in kids. But it's that way with adults, too. It doesn't discriminate stress. Right. Exactly. And and you just brought up a point. Like It's internal as well, right? We all face it. We all have insecurities and, you know, am I good enough? Is this going to work? And especially children, right? I, they're constantly being tested. That's, if that doesn't create stress, what does? Oh, do this math problem. Well, I'm four years old. I don't even know what math means. Can I just go play with my trains? Silly things like that, that we're pushing, we're pushing kids to grow up too fast. In my opinion, we're putting stress into their system chemically from all the environmental toxins and the the toxins in the food and foods that don't actually serve their needs. And, you know, speaking magnesium, magnesium is deficient in a lot of our soils, but it's also deficient in the foods that most people emphasize. And so magnesium, I see magnesium deficiency all the time. There are genetic predispositions to it. And a small percentage of the population has that where they need more um, and, and I have never done the study, but I bet if we did a study on autistic kids and kids mm-hmm. with ADD, that we would find that there was way more magnesium deficiency than in kids who don't have ADD or autism. I there are know. those research. There are those. Good. There we go. <laughs> I figured if anybody knew you would. Yeah, I, they, I just got a genetic test for a little boy that's highly distressed and has a lot of um, mental health history issues within his genetic makeup. Um, and of course, there's magnesium and propensity for genetic deficiency in vitamin D, A and magnesium in his system. Mm-hmm. So essentials. Essential nutrients, you know, and vitamins that we need. So, you know, how can the body and the brain work properly? But you're right. There's deficiencies. And I think what people don't understand about deficiencies is that when you have these deficiencies, like I'm MTHFR, so I can't process fully in B12 in the same way and I need it in a more bioavailable form. I'm not going to get enough of it from my food. And you need to supplement 
And, you know, people often say like, well, I'm a healthy eater. And I, I agree with you. I think you do need to get a lot of nutrients from your food. But having eaten many times with you, Rita Marie, Rita Marie breaks, we always say breaks greens with you. She doesn't break green, <laughs> be, br- a bread. She has a pile of greens. And, you know, most kids, my kids eat a lot of vegetables. Your kids growing up ate a lot of vegetables. I mean, you have to eat a lot of very specific high density nutrient food, which is possible, which is possible, but most people aren't willing to make those lifestyle changes. And I'm going to add an and to that. Yeah. And you have to be able to digest those foods. Okay. And because of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, stress, most people's digestive tracts are not able to process well because the stress turns off the digestive enzymes. It turns off the digestive process. So I will say as many greens as I eat, and it's loaded with magnesium. And if you look at my diet record, you'd probably see I was eating twice as much magnesium as I need. I still need to supplement. Not every day, but I I need to be aware because I have a tendency to not get as much and the stress response. And over the many decades of not eating well, have affected my digestion and other things and the stress levels do it. So if I don't have magnesium, at least if I don't, I have to supplement at least once or twice a week. And let's talk about stress because you work really hard. You do a lot of events. You're always um, support, you know, supporting people. Dr. Rita Marie does a lot of training of medical professionals to become functional practitioners at a very, very deep, deep level. She doesn't just teach them a class. She's teaching them for a year or longer. And she does a lot of giving. Her knowledge is pretty incredible. She's the the adult version, functional endocrinology, nutritional endocrinology of me and children's mental health. Like if I have a question related to that, Boop, boop, boop. I called her this week. <laughs> and then I'm like, save this. This is what I do when she leaves me a message. I save this save so it. I can <laughs> more than once. So stress, we always think of stress as something bad had to happen. But stress, like, you know, when it comes to kids, it could be that, you know, they have soccer practice uh, every day, right? Mm-hmm. They decided to take a hard class. Right. They are have an after school job. They love it. But yeah. it's still a stress. It's a stress. Performance anxiety, right? Because right. they want to do the best and they're pressured to do the best, quite frankly, right. if they're on a soccer team, right? That's right. If they're taking That's a hard right. class. But it could be things like shortchanging your sleep or having a new job or yeah. your kid is difficult. There's so many things that are stressors that we have become a culture where we accept stress as a norm. Right. Right. Without doing anything to mitigate it. It is a norm, but what are you doing to counter it, right? Whenever we're all together, Dr. Rita Marie and our friends, we're like, oh, what new gadget do you have? Oh, what are you trying? <laughs> Looking at ways to constantly calm our body, our yeah. brain, get it into that parasympathetic state. It Super requires important. effort. It requires things. But not to- as much as you think. It not does require effort, but it's right. small and you, get, and you have to habituate it. That's right. And you st- realize when you're low in magnesium, how do you realize it for yourself? Like, you know, do, is your sleep, you're a good sleeper, but like, is it, a, what signs and what symptoms do, do you realize it? If I, if I keep up with it, then I don't get these signs, but I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a cramp in my leg. 
And I go, shoot, I got to get my magnesium. When was the last time I took? Oh, oh, yeah. Or my toes will go like that. Right. That's how I realize it. I usually sleep pretty well, except, you know, when I'm injured, (laughs) just just getting over. But it's really for me, it's the cramping. So you notice it in that way. And, um, you know, and I know for me, I can't sleep without magnesium. And, you know, not all magnesiums are the same. And certainly the the best brain ones are L3-inate, glycinate. Right. They are clinically proven to help support yep. the brain and sleep. All magnesiums are good. There is no bad magnesium. Except they if just you have, have irritable perfect. bowel and you take too much citrate. That's 100% right. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So we're mm-hmm. careful about that. But yeah, I yeah. like I like the three and eight and the glycine. Those are the two that I take. I sometimes take citrate, but um, those are the two that I take most regularly. Absolutely. And when it comes to, you know, you're training practitioners to be functional, to get them to make lifestyle changes what do you teach other practitioners about magnesium in supporting their patients and their clients? Sure. Uh, we have a whole hour and a half module on just magnesium. Oh. So I won't go into that much detail here. I'll spare your audience the details, but I teach them how important it is, how critical it is for people to get it in their food, but that most people are not going to get it in their food. And the environments are pulling it out. So, for example, magnesium is also important, not just for brain function, but for blood sugar balance. Blood sugar balance is important for brain function. So let's keep 100%. connected, and right? And, and mood. mood. And, and, and anxiety and stress yes. levels. Really yes. important. So, you know, if you don't, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, which most people are, if you're feeding your kids a lot of processed foods, which most people are, I never did, but they're going to need more magnesium. And you may see it effectively come out as inability to sleep, anxiety, and of course, attention issues. Magnesium is important for 300 cofactor, a cofactor for 300 enzymatic reactions. And some of those are related, many of those are related to neurotransmitters, right? So we need to have magnesium in order for GABA. GABA is a calming neurotransmitter. If we don't have enough magnesium, we don't make enough GABA. And Looking back at genetics, there are genetic factors that affect somebody's ability to convert from glutamate to GABA, right? And glutamate's excitatory. And I think we see a lot of that in the kids that have ADD and adults that have ADD, right? That they have too much GABA, not enough, uh, too much glutamate and not enough GABA. Magnesium is important in that interconversion. And then on top of that, if they don't have enough magnesium and they have genetic variants, that predispose them to not doing that conversion. And they have a predisposition to not, you know, absorbing, making, utilizing their magnesium. These kids, it's almost like it could be a miracle to just give this kid some magnesium and suddenly, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. kids' behavior is, is changed. Their sleep is changed. And adults too. I see it in, in women. With going through menopause, going through, um, you know, menstrual changes, periods, right before a period, a woman needs more magnesium, way more magnesium. Just that week before their period, they need more magnesium because it helps to bring out and take the estrogen out of the system, you know, the used up metabolites of estrogen. So that's a really important factor. And the other place where magnesium is super important is in 
excreting oxalates, which come in some of the foods. And we hear a lot of people are like, oh, everybody needs to be on a low oxalate diet. Well, what if the person's magnesium deficient and they're eating normal amounts of oxalates, but they can't excrete them? We tell them you take magnesium. Can you talk about, because this is a popular thing, but not everybody may be aware of, there's sort of this trend that oxalates are in in our foods, like foods like spinach and kale are high in oxalates, which are power foods, right? And there's this sort of trend in the biohacking world that should be avoided and, and for some kids. So explain to people about the tie between a high oxalate diet and what symptoms it's typically associated with. And I hear you loud and clear that we need magnesium to support oxalates excretion, right? To removal process. Oxalates are a specific chemical constituent of food. It's in spinach a lot. Rhubarb, which hardly anybody I know eats rhubarb. That might be an old thing, rhubarb pie, but I don't know. We got it in our garden, Rita Marie. You have it? Okay. You didn't make me any when I was there. I would have (laughs) liked to try it. I didn't even know what it tastes like. Kale, but not all kale. So curly kale, the regular stuff that's on the shelves, is pretty high. It's about maybe 25% of how much is in spinach. But dinosaur kale, it's also called lacinato kale. Oh, my God. I love lacinato kale. That's the best. It's a tenth as much oxalate Mm. as the the, uh, spinach and the other kale. So it's a chemical, and it's supposed to be excreted. In the feces, actually, it's not even supposed to cross the the barrier from the intestine into the bloodstream. If it gets into the bloodstream, it can cause all kinds of symptoms. So Mm -hmm. the oxalate can crystallize and deposit in joints. So we can get joint problems. We can get gout. We can, it can also uh, crystallize in the area like uh, vulvodynia in the area by the vulvas and the kidney and the urethras, right? It can crystallize and then we get pain symptoms. But I've seen people have brain fog issues. From yes, absolutely. So yeah. it, can, it can affect all kinds of systems because these crystals will deposit. They're not supposed to get into the bloodstream. Now, a percentage, of course, always does. But once they do, if we have enough magnesium and vitamin B6, it latches on and it takes it out. Magnesium and calcium have the ability to latch onto it in the intestinal tract and take it out with the stool so it never gets into the the, uh, system. So magnesium is super important. In that yeah, I love this conversation because honestly, I've never heard anybody talk about, about the oxalate affecting the brain and body and a different solution other than removing it completely, all the high <laughs> oxalate foods. And the other thing that I think is so amazing that I want to highlight what you're saying just in general about magnesium, you really talked about how it affected neurotransmitters and you also talked about genetic mutations. And Number one, when it comes to genetic mutations or predispositions, we don't talk enough about that. And, and it's a big learning piece for a lot of the parents that are listening and individuals that are learning because it's just getting out there in the world as sort of being more common. I think a lot of people have heard of MTHFR, but they may have not heard of the dozens of other genetic Dozens? Are you talking hundreds of thousands? Right, of hundreds of thousands. And they're not... Mutations. So I'm going to correct you there. So we don't so want to think okay, about go mutations. Ahead, correct me. School mutations. Right. Nobody wants to have mutation. They're variants, and everybody variants. has them. Right. And they make us look different, as well as they make our biochemistry inside function differently. 
And some of those variants actually enhance the function. There's a variant that makes people process caffeine faster. So those are the people that can drink 10 cups of coffee and fall asleep at night. I mean, I'm jealous of those people. <laughs> it's still not good for it. They're, no, you. No, know, it's not. It still does a lot of bad stuff. So anyway, there are variants. There are 23andMe used to report on 900,000 variants. They changed their report and they cut it down. Now they only report on 600,000 variants. The variants make things work differently. So there are specific patterns of genetic variants that kids with ADD or kids with behavioral issues or kids with uh, juvenile onset diabetes, all of these different things that we see, and we go, oh, this person, oh my God, it it's, could be a genetic variant that puts them at higher risk. But genetic variant does not equal dysfunction. And that's why I just hate using the word mutation. If I have a specific, which I do, I have these particular genetic variants that make it really hard for me to go from glutamate to GABA. And you probably see that sometimes in me when I get all, uh, but I've learned how to control that with my diet choices and with my lifestyle practices and my meditation practices and all my cool stuff to get myself in parasympathetic. And I've been doing that for long enough that I naturally mostly stay in parasympathetic. No, we don't. I won't say that because we all don't mostly stay in parasympathetic, but I'm able to control. You're able to get in there. You're get able in to there. Get I'm able to seat. shift. Yeah. I'm able to notice that and shift. And those kind of processes are amazing for kids too. Kids can oh learn my it. gosh, they're kids can they're, learn it. They're so important for, you know, I always say generational mental wealth because once your kid has that skill, even if they're having a hard time right now, what it's doing is it's giving them those tools that are able to do for the rest of their life because we're always going to face stressors. You know what I mean? Like, right. you we're know, always. it's like, should I do this? Should I do that? What about this? Oh, my car broke down or whatever, you know, those kind of things. So I appreciate that. That's really incredibly helpful. And the other thing that that is so important, and it's what my work is all about, is you're talking about natural ways to support neurotransmitters. Bingo. And we all think there's some pill that's going to fix it. And, you know, I 100% of the time never believe a psychiatric medication should be the first choice for a child. If you are being recommended that by a therapist, a pediatrician, another provider, run. The research is pretty clear. There are lots of alternatives. So, you know, whether you're going out and getting it's going to be okay or you're Google MDing searches, you're really finding a trusted authority, like being part of our calm brain community. You want to make sure you are choosing things that are right for your child, for yourself, because this is the same information for an adult as it is for a child, but you're being consistent about it. And I think that's the part where people struggle is the constancy. This doesn't have to be three hours of your day. I don't have three hours to devote to that kind of stuff. I didn't mean, when I was raising my kids, especially. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Reed and Reed, just to know, didn't have perfect children and she homeschooled her kids and nutrition and lifestyle were paramount to their success yes. and their yes. lovely human beings and adults. Yes. So, and, and we, you know, we, we debated whether that was going to actually happen at certain points uh, yeah. during the process. But Don't the one all? that we worried about the most, who was yeah. 
you know, jumping off the balconies and teaching his younger cousins to jump off the balconies and climbing trees up to the height of the house when he was three. He's very, he's, he's very polite. I noticed this yesterday. He called me up, asked me if I had, oh, well, thank you so much, mom. That's so cool. Like he learned and I introduced him to a technique called heart math when he was little and we were on a plane and he's like, what is that device? And it was just when this heart math device that you can hook up and, and then you can, um, determine are you in sympathetic or parasympathetic? And he, I, he just took it from me and I didn't tell him what to do with it. And I read a book because it was keeping him occupied on the plane. And he comes back, he's mom, look, I figured out how to work this thing. Really? So he goes, watch, I can make it turn red. You want to see? And he just like ripples up his face and he gets all really agitated and it goes red. He goes, watch, I can get it to go green. And he calms himself down and he does that, right? And he did his breath work. He did his breath work and he learned, you know, because I would teach them that. Yeah, he was hard as a kid. But one time I was losing it with his brother. His dad was out of town. And I mean, and he says, Mom, come here, sit down. So we were on the stairs. Sit down. I said, What? Just take a deep breath. And I take a breath. He goes, Take another deep breath. He goes, Get ready. We're going to do at least 10. He was five years old. Right. I love it. So he was like a little that. empath Buddha leader. Yep. Yep. And that he was, you know, he still had his moments. He still, you know, we gave him a lot of supplementation for neurotransmitter support to calm down his brain. He too has a ton of GAD SNPs, which is the one that makes it difficult to convert from glutamate into uh, GABA. Of course, you don't feed kids like that monosodium glutamate foods, right? Because bonk, right, right off the charts. And that's why some kids, right, when we don't know what our snippets are, what our variants are, that's why some kids react so strongly to things. And, yes. and also why many kids have very poor reactions to psychiatric medications, yes. which is, again, why we always start with other things. And And for me, Magnesium is always the supplement that everyone always says to me, I wish I had started it sooner because it can, for most people, have an immediate calming effect. Uh, Definitely improve sleep. As I said, I can't sleep without it. One time they tried to take it from me at the TSA and I was like, this hasn't been opened. Please, I won't be able to sleep, you know. Oh, wow. (laughs) And they were like, "Okay, we'll run it through. And after that, I learned to put like multiple different ones in my suitcase and here and there and everywhere. I practically freaked out on the guy. I was like, I'm going to be very calm. You know, he he was like, I had a baby with me. I was like, I need to sleep, you know. Um, But it's an important nutrient for helping to support neurotransmitters, calm and regulate the nervous system. And with the deepening of sleep, right? And we also know that kids with ADHD tend to have low magnesium levels and kids with autism. You are right, Dr. Rita Marie. And so supplementation and certainly having foods that are high in magnesium are really important. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, And I did that with him. And I know that had he not been raised in my household, he had been raised by somebody feeding him the standard American diet. Yeah. He would have been labeled ADHD and totally. put on Ritalin. He would have. Yeah. But yeah. I, I knew better, right? They tried yeah. to label, like, your kid won't sit still. Well, you're boring. <laughs> I basically told the teacher <laughs> that. He right. can't sit still. He learns by moving. And he learns beautifully by moving. We did some homeschooling stuff where I was trying to teach his brother the multiplication tables. And we're jumping up in the trampoline and... 
brother had a hard time doing it. His brother's four years older than him. But he finally, he was listening. I wasn't teaching it to him. He was listening and he goes, it's 42, Eric. It's 42. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And he would listen and he would be walking around the room when I was reading books to his brother. And literally he would get to a certain point and he'd go, oh, that character is the same one from there. Oh, wow. We didn't know he was listening because he mm -hmm. was playing. He's a kinesthetic learner, my friend. To move. Yeah. Right? They don't. Kids are not. They're not ideally suited to sitting in a chair no. and listening to somebody drone at them for eight hours a day. That's not no. how learning works, especially no. with kids who are, you know, wired for movement, wired. Yeah. And he's brilliant. He's yeah. a brilliant kid. Most of these kids are. Yeah. They're brilliant. I was bored, just bored out of my mind from preschool. I made my mother pull me out because they wanted to make me take a nap. I tell the story that I went, I was there and uh, half day and they wanted me to take a nap. So we go to pick up my stuff because I'm leaving. And they said, don't you want to make the teepee? And I said, do I have to take a nap? And they said, yeah. I said, we're out of here, mom. <laughs> and <laughs> I got to spend time with my Italian mother cooking without my siblings. Okay, great. But K through 12th grade, I literally, I, I just read books in school. It was just yeah. nothing to do with what I was doing. It was really boring until I went to college. It is not suited for a brain that is uh, needs a lot of stimulation. And that's not to yeah. say that every kid does bad in school. Some kids are fine well, there. It's, you know, fine there. It's beautiful. But is this you? Homework struggles, short attention spans, calls from the school, a snarky attitude. But what if there was a simple, tasty way to help? Meet. Neurotastic Multimag Brain Formula. This delicious elixir fuels young minds, promotes calmness and concentration. Put the joy back into your family life and learning with Neurotastic. Go to drrosanne.com forward slash magnesium. That's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com forward slash magnesium to get on our wait list for the Neurotastic early founders specials that you'll just never see again. That's drrosanne.com forward slash magnesium. You know, kids like that, they're labeled ADHD. I know they're Instead labeled. Instead of labeled highly kinesthetic learner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So right. I wouldn't take a label. I remember one teacher in a homeschooling co-op saying, have you had your kid tested? I'm like, what do you mean tested? She said for like ADD. I'm like, you know what? When he's interested, he can sit. He sit. He can sit at the piano for hours, figuring out a tune that he heard someone else play until he gets it right. He'll sit down with a Lego set and just work with it until he gets it right. If you're standing up in front of him and just teaching him facts that don't relate to anything, he's not going to learn. Now he's still brilliant. He can fit, sit with any musical instrument and learn it. They would have drugged him. Oh, 100% sister. Yeah. But they probably would have drugged Einstein too. 
I mean, of course they would have, right? Yeah. You know, that's why, I mean, the beauty of what you did and so many of the parents that I have worked with and, and many parents who listen actually are homeschoolers. One of my kids is homeschooled. So, and it doesn't mean that's an alternative option for everybody. One of my kids is not homeschooled because he was like, not for me. And I was like, I don't think it is for you. <laughs> so everyone has their right place. And I wish there was more action-oriented kinesthetic nature-bound, physical, engaging types of learning curriculum, because we would have a lot less clinical diagnoses. We'd have a lot less stress kids and parents. Because, you know, there's nothing more stressful than when your kid's having a hard time. When you have a kid that's a mover, where they get labeled as handsy or inattentive or all of those things, impulsive, right? Because they're they're not getting, their brain isn't getting the right kind of stimulation. And so we often think to medical constraints, right? That's what I always call medication is medical constraints. constraints. So, and I'm not, and everybody knows I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. You're, this is, if you're listening and you have a child on medication, this is an opportunity to have an aha moment to think about what else you can do to support your child's brain. And many kids are on medications and magnesium or vitamin D or B6 that Dr. Rita Marie mentioned. There are a lot of essentials, nutrients and vitamins that are incredibly helpful to support the brain of a neurodivergent child or an individual of any age with stress and anxiety. And I think the reality is, no matter how much we think we don't need magnesium, we need to focus on magnesium-dense foods and supplement with magnesium because we're living a stressful life. We absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing I do want to point out, I know we're talking magnesium, so this is an aside, but aside for people to look at, the effect of certain food sensitivities on Mm -hmm. these kids' behaviors. And I remember working with a child, two different children. And plus my own. One of them came in with a set of symptoms. And also I got this person, this kid is sensitive to dairy. There's other yeah. things going on. And I said to the parents, how many things can you handle changing at the at a time? They said one. I said, get your kid off dairy. They call back in a week and they say the kid, the teachers called us and said, thanks for putting him on Ritalin. Okay. <laughs> yes. Another one I went through. I had some gut dysbiosis stuff. I said, get him off of gluten. Same thing. Thank you for putting them on. Now, the third one was my kid. We never ate gluten at home. We never ate bread at home. We just, you know, so he was pretty safe from that. He goes to school. After the homeschooling thing, we got him into middle school. He wanted to be on sports teams, got him into middle school. And he was coming home like crazy. And his brother says, why is he so out of control? His behavior is so out of control. So we contact the 10. The teacher started calling. Why is his behavior so out of control? And so I said, has he been eating gluten? And they said, well, I don't know. I said, he doesn't get it at home, but, and we'd already had him tested and we knew. So next day, the teacher calls me and she said, I watched him coming from the cafeteria with a tray and on the tray, he had pizza. He somehow or other got his friend to get him the pizza because we had given the cafeteria the, he's not allowed to eat these, these, these and foods. And, ah. So he took him off of it again. He went back to being busted. Sane. Busted. He was busted. Yeah. <laughs> Did he recognize, Rita Marie, that it was agitating, causing problems for him at the time? Because that's a weird... I don't think he wanted to. Yeah. He didn't yeah. want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. And when he stopped it again, brother says, oh, he's calm again. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it was these external forces yeah. that were. I mean, there's so many things that can affect kids' behaviors, and yeah. in you know, instead of being overwhelmed by that, I always tell my parents to be excited about the opportunity yes. to change naturally, and it can feel overwhelming, just like with the parents where you know I've had kids where they're like literally allergic to everything, everything, you know, and and getting to that and understanding what's going on is a complex process. And you definitely always need a provider yeah. to help you with that. That's Absolutely. not something you're doing on your own. Cause you're going to go, ah! it's, you know, yeah. um, but constancy and really sticking with it. Right. Right. Like even right. when we knew my kid was max was really allergic to dairy and we tried to re-enter it. So I had the opposite thing. Mrs. Sullivan in kindergarten called me and said, what's going on? What are you doing? And we had tried to do dairy again. She was like, oh, my God, stop it today. She said to me, stop it today. So she's like, "Okay, it's going to take about six or seven days for his behavior to reset. And uh, she was like, never give him dairy ever again, please. (laughs) And it's unique to each child, right? Yeah, it is unique. I mean, not, you know, we're not here. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, what a kid's need, what individuals need to counter stress, you know, certainly you have to do things to always regulate your nervous system, whether it's breath work or heart math, which is a form of biofeedback or, you know, walking or prayer, whatever it is, that's a gentle way to right. kind of rebalance and put you into that parasympathetic state. Start there. But also, you know, for me, we're doing this whole series to educate you about magnesium, not because we part of our line of magnesium, but I want people to be really excited about how effective it is and what a great counter to stress it is. And in a time when we do need quick and easy ways to, you know, do that for me, quick and easy is also breath work. You know, multiple times a day, I do breath work. Because it is the fastest way to pull you into a totally the fastest way, fastest way, fastest way. People will say it doesn't work. Well, you're doing it one time in a week. It's not going to It doesn't work that way. You'll have a breath memory, right? Where your body goes in that parasympathetic state. As soon as you, you start your process, the more you do it, your body will go, okay, you want me to relax. Keep that a lubricated process within our system. And you should be doing that with your kids. Um, role modeling it, but also doing it together. It's a great way to connect. And it's a great reminder for both of you to do that. But also for me, magnesium is just one of those essentials. I have other stress supplements that I like, but this is the map daddy and our body needs so much of it for so many chemical processes um, that it's an important one. When you think about, um, you know, and are kind of wrapping it up, um, for people that are considering using magnesium, what would be something that you would say to them that, you know, whether it's where to start or why it's important, you know, final thoughts on the importance of magnesium? I don't know if it's where to start for each individual, right? That's where you you come in and you do an evaluation and figure it out. But it's an easy place to start. It doesn't have side effects to start there. Whereas you say, oh, let's just put them on Ritalin or whatever some of the other medications are. There's side effects. There's downsides. So you try it along with the other pieces, along with teaching them how to get into parasympathetic. But sometimes you need something to get the symptoms under control. And then they're calm enough to be able to teach them some of these other things. 
so beautifully said, because, you know, this is calm brain, happy family. That's what I'm <laughs> yep. But it, it is so true. Sometimes you just need a little, you need a little help. And we right. often think it is medication, but it's not the case. And also, you know, we, when it comes to kids with ADHD, we think of stimulants, but a lot of times their, their body is so out of whack that they, they're hyper yeah. Because their brain and body isn't calm. And so by calming, we have more focused attention and alertness. Yes. So, and again, the research shows us a lot of good things, but it, it's a wonderful place to start. And, and Dr. Rita Marie, thank you so much for talking about stress and magnesium and for everything about who you are. And you can find her at the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology. And she's, if you're a practitioner, a lot of practitioners are listening. And I thank you. Thank you for sharing. She's who I would go to if I really want to learn how to be a practitioner because she's all about the details and so much. Yes, we have big concepts, but really to help people, as we talked about today, there are a lot of little things that can have a huge impact. So again, if you're a parent struggling, just start somewhere. This is an easy start. Maybe it's breath work, but start. And don't sure. let right. the, that stress and anxiety eclipse your thinking. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you Dr. Rita Marie. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Parenting is hard and there are so many ups and downs. Just know that no matter what is going on with your kid and family, it's going to be okay when you take one step towards natural solutions like adding magnesium to your daily routine. You need the right solution to help your child be successful at home, school, and life. And that's why I've created the Solution Matcher. Go to drrosanne.com forward slash help, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N forward slash help to get the right solution for where you're at. 